You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. So we've got a lot of visitors this morning, a lot of people out this morning as well because of the holiday uh, weekend. And so just to kind of give a quick refresher for what we've been talking about recently here at Sovereign Hope, we've been reviewing our goals that we set several years ago, kind of where we wanted to be after five years and some things that we wanted to see God do through our small church. And so we've been kind of reviewing those things, trying to repackage those now that we've learned some things over the past couple of years. And my goal is to kind of wrap up that discussion today. You know me, I love teaching through books of the Bible, and so it's hard for me not to be teaching through books of the Bible. So we've been very topical the last several weeks. I'm looking forward to getting into the book of Hebrews Um, And we'll be going through that book together. Um, Next week, we'll have Application Sunday. And so those of you who aren't familiar with that, that's where we get together. We have a big breakfast spread. We come eat together, and then we kind of talk about our last few sermons together. And so we'll do that next week. Today, we're going to kind of wrap up our discussion of our goals. And just to kind of refresh your memory, especially if you haven't been here, then we're giving it to you for the very first time. Some of the goals that we've kind of set, things that we're working through is how we want to be involved in this local community. And so we talked about being very strategic with working with widows and orphans, talking about our responsibility to participate in foster care in this area and how each one of us can do that, whether it's through whether it's through potentially doing meals for people who are foster parents and being able to provide food for them when they get last-minute placements when they're not prepared for that, whether it's offering babysitting services for foster families that need a break for an evening, or whether it's offering kind of a a respite care, a long-term opportunity for a family to get away and go on vacation that they can't take their foster child with them due to state regulations. And so wanting you to kind of be prayerful about that. How can, how can we be involved in foster care within this area to care for, for those who, who either don't have parents or have parents who can't take care of them right now? Um, we've talked about being more involved with the Coweta Pregnancy Service Center and how we can help uh, promote life through them. And so we kind of talked about that two, two or three weeks ago. We've talked about our desire to continue to grow as a church, but to not become a big church, that instead we want to plant more churches. And so we don't really ever want to get above 150 within this church. We want to grow, and then we want to hopefully, Lord willing, plant other churches in the surrounding areas so that we kind of stay small, we stay intimate, but we're continuing to evangelize and grow and see people get saved. And so we've talked about some of the ways that we want to see that take place. And so that kind of brings us to that, uh, that last goal that we want to talk about today, a goal that we had set to hopefully plant a church internationally. And when you kind of think back through the goals, what we're talking about is as a church, we want to grow bigger and give more so that members can go and plant more churches, whether that's locally or internationally. And so we've done some things to try to take steps in the direction of taking some of our membership, planting them overseas, and, and seeing a international church grow through Sovereign Hope. We've learned some things in the process, and I think what I want to do today is to kind of reflect that to you in our summary sentence. So those of you that are visiting with us, what we try to do every Sunday is give you the entire sermon in one sentence so that if you check out, fall asleep, have to leave early, you kind of get all of it right now, okay? So here's where we're going today. What I want to discuss with you and show show you through the book of Acts and the book of Philippians Our goal as a church is to identify and connect our church with mission-minded ministries that are focused on discipleship, Bible translation, and global church planting, enabling our members to participate and partner in a variety of ways. Okay, so what we're trying to repackage now is it may not be possible for us as a small church to plant an international church by ourselves. But we can potentially connect with some ministries, some organizations that are doing that and enable our membership to participate in a variety of ways, whether that's strictly giving money, whether that's going on short-term opportunities, or whether that's even going long-term and saying, you know what, I want to move to the mission field. I want to help plant a church in another country. For our kids that are with us this morning, our church wants to find other people we can tell people about Jesus or find other people that we can help tell other people about Jesus, translate the Bible into other languages, and plant other churches. So our goal is to help connect this church with other ministries that are doing this, that are focused on discipleship, Bible translation, and global church planting. All right, and so I want us to see from Scripture why that's the case. Why why do we want to do that? Why does that matter to us here? Why should we be more concerned with people? Uh, Why should we be concerned about people beyond just this area? Why shouldn't we just focus on this area alone? Okay, 
So that brings us to the next slide, why this goal. In fulfillment of the Great Commission, and I've been trying to give you the why behind each one of our goals. I want you to see biblically why we even strive to do this as a church. In fulfillment of the Great Commission, the book of Acts shows a missional commitment by the early church to take the word in an understandable language to areas in need of the gospel, discipleship, and local churches. All right, so Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Acts 1, 8, where we kind of get that understanding of the great commission that we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes with us. Jesus empowers us to do that, right? Well, the book of Acts is simply the, the, the fleshing out of that commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. You see the disciples begin to disperse and plant churches and then raise up people in the church that they then send out as missionaries to go continue the efforts, Okay, so what I did yesterday is I took some time to just read through the book of Acts, and I just began to jot down things that I saw the early church focused on in their missional efforts. I really just want to share with you the results of my study yesterday from reading through the book of Acts from an overview type standpoint. But what what I want to show you and what I think we see in the book of Acts is a missional commitment by that early church to make sure that the word, the Bible, went in an understandable language to areas in need of the gospel, discipleship, and local churches. We're also going to see today that I think the, the end goal for the early church was always to plant more churches because the local church is God's primary mission strategy for dispelling darkness in this world as each church becomes a community of light designed to make much of Jesus Christ. That's, that's God's pattern. That's Jesus' pattern to, to see churches, fellowships, small groups of believers operating together to dispel darkness in their area, to serve as a beacon of light, a beacon of hope, where they're making much of Jesus in this world. Okay, so what we want to see is that being kind of our goal as well, that as a church we want, we want to put forth effort, not just here, but around the world to see local churches started. Okay, so like I said, I want to see some key missional strategies found in the book of Acts today, and I want to walk you through those briefly here this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump around in the book of Acts to kind of get an idea and a perspective of how the early church viewed missions, how they approached it within their churches. So we'll start in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, and the first thing that I want us to see is that people who were faithful to tell others about Jesus at home were sent out to other areas. For our kids, we need to tell people about Jesus here before going overseas to do it. We've talked about this before. It makes zero sense for us to commission and pay for people to go overseas to tell people about Jesus if they're not faithfully doing that here, right? Like there's a precedent that faithful in the little things, God blesses you with greater responsibilities, okay? And what we find is in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, A precedent for that. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful in the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, so you have Barnabas and and Saul, who becomes known as Paul, they're sharing Jesus faithfully in this town of Antioch. They're kind of helping to equip the disciples there. They're teaching about Jesus. The, the, the number is being added to regularly because of their efforts to evangelize. And then you skip to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a long life, uh, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so the church of Antioch 
begins to pray and fast about sending people from their church out as missionaries. And the Holy Spirit prompts them to send the two people who were being the most faithful to teach about Jesus in that area. Okay, so you've got Barnabas and Saul, faithful to proclaim the gospel, faithful to evangelize. The church of Antioch says, man, we need to send people out to continue this in areas that don't know about this stuff. We're going to send Barnabas and Saul, Paul, to do that. Okay, so there's a precedent in, in the book of Acts where it seems that people who were faithful to tell others about Jesus at home were sent out to other areas to continue those efforts. Number two, direct revelation Particular circumstances and planned strategy contributed to where they sent people. For our kids, God helps us find the people that need him. All right, so as you read through the book of Acts, you'll find different times, different ways God tells Paul and some of these other missionaries where to go. Sometimes he does it very directly and communicates in like a special way where they're supposed to go. In Acts chapter 16, verse 8, if you want to keep flipping through the book of Acts to that chapter. Acts chapter 16, verse 8. says, So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so... Paul gets prompted through, through a dream as to where he's supposed to go next. God directly reveals to him exactly where he's supposed to go, okay? Um, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 9, if we back up. Yeah, let me, just, let me start reading in verse 6. It says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here, Paul is trying to get to certain places that he's kind of strategized, this is where I need to go, and the Holy Spirit's withholding him from being able to go those directions. Like, he is attempting to do this. He's, he's kind of walking by the Spirit as best as he knows how. God hasn't directly told him where to go, but he's kind of looking at open doors, kind of looking at situations and saying, okay, it makes sense for us to go here next, but the Holy Spirit's keeping him from being able to do that, right? Like, so he's got his man-made plans. Man, God's kind of cutting those off, and so Paul's just kind of bouncing like a pin, pinball machine, like trying to find his way, and then boom, he gets this, this vision, this dream that says, go here. So you've got direct revelation. You've got particular circumstances that sometimes shape where he goes. As you continue to read through Acts and then other letters in the New Testament, there's times where persecution kind of runs them off. They would have stayed longer in certain places, but they have to leave for the sake of their life. There's other circumstances that kind of direct where they end up going in their church planting efforts, all right? And then throughout the, the book of Acts, there's just a lot of strategy that they're seeking to apply, right? Like I have kind of picture um, Paul and some of his guys sitting down with whatever type of map system they had at the time and trying to chart their course. Where are we going to go next, right? And so there was a lot of different contributing factors to where they ended up going, direct revelation, particular circumstances, and then simply sitting down and strategizing where to go next, right? For us, I believe we kind of have to lean more heavily upon the particular circumstances and the, uh, the strategy aspect, right? Like, like I'm very hesitant in regards to like divine revelation still coming from God to us. Um, not that God doesn't directly at times prompt us in certain things, right? But I don't know that, that we should expect to receive visions and dreams about what to do and where to go all, all the time, right? Like, like God's given us his word, very sufficient. God's also very capable of directing our circumstances, okay? And so what we see in the book of Acts is they were very intentional to go, to move, to go in certain directions, and then kind of relied upon God to redirect them as needed. And God even divinely stepped in at times and showed them exactly where to go when needed too, all right? Number three, the gospel is the primary way we help people. It's the primary way that we help people. Staying right here, what we see in this section here in Acts, when Paul sees this vision, right? Like he gets this vision of a guy saying, come over here to help us. And what does he conclude? God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Like that was Paul's immediate thought. This guy needs help well, then I've got the gospel for him, 
right? Not to say that Paul wasn't going to come in and potentially help with some of his physical needs. But Paul's immediate thought isn't, do they have clean drinking water? Do they have orphanages set up in their, in their area? Right? Like his initial thought is gospel needs to go first. And I think what we're going to see in the book of Acts is that the gospel goes when it's understood and then churches are planted. That church is then enabled and equipped to provide a lot of the things that sometimes we try to come in and help with. That's really the primary role of the church to help its community. Right? So, so clean drinking water, absolutely necessary for people around the world. Orphanage is absolutely necessary around the world. But if those things aren't connected to local churches, then we're robbing local Christians of their opportunity to be involved in those type of ministries that we're even trying to seek to be involved in in this area. Right? So Paul's immediate thought is, oh, people in that, that country need help. People in that city need help. We need to go preach the gospel to them. That's the best way for our kids. It's the best way to help people. Because that's the eternal way to help people, right? If we're guilty of providing for immediate needs, but we fail to recognize our role in providing eternal needs, man, we fall short of really being able to help people. The gospel is the best way to help people because it's the eternal way to help people, right? It's the primary way to help people in in what we see in the book of Acts and how the church was responding to needs that arose and being given to them. Paul ends up going to Macedonia. If you continue to read through the book of Acts, he ends up going to Macedonia, and this is where the Philippian church comes from, right? He gets into this area and plants the church at Philippi, all right? Number four, teaching truth is needed to combat false teachings and beliefs. What we see in the book of Acts is as these missionaries go out, teaching truth was a big need because they needed to combat false teaching and beliefs in the areas where they showed up. In Acts chapter 13, so we back up a little bit. Acts chapter 13, this is right after the church at Antioch sends Paul and Silas out. It says in verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Man, Chris can attest to the fact in going to Uganda, the amount of false teaching that he has had to combat in his years there. As he comes in and tries to preach the gospel, tell people about Jesus, there have been other people that have gotten there first. A lot of prosperity-type gospel circulating in that country where people are being told, if you'll follow Jesus and you'll give your money away, God will bless you immensely financially. And they're peddling the gospel, right? Like there, there are pastors over there that charge people for them to pray for them, right? Like there, there are ways that they are making money off the gospel, in fact, uh, Chris's latest story was he was telling me where there's a guy who has a certain Bible translation that he conveniently sells to people, and he goes around telling people if they don't have this one, they've got the wrong one, and it's from the devil, and they need to discard it and buy the one that he has. So one of Chris's guys that he's been teaching came to him and said, hey, you gave me this Bible, and this guy's telling me it's from the devil. Do I need to buy his? Chris is constantly having to combat false teaching. It's one of the things that we see through the book of Acts as they show up a lot of legalism in some of the cities that they show up in, a lot of false teachings that they have to combat, all right? So as they send people out, they're sending people who are telling people about Jesus already at home. They're relying upon direct revelation, circumstances, and strategies to get them to the right places. When they get there, they're very faithful to share the gospel. They're very faithful to combat false teaching. Number five, instruction in written form and in the native language is important. As they think through their missionary strategies and acts, they are very intentional to bring written form of God's word to the people. 
and to do it in a language as best they can that the people can understand. Look at Acts chapter 15. Now, Acts is unique because there's the Jewish audience that's it's still very present in some of these cities. And so Paul's strategy is always to go to the synagogue first, talk about Jesus with people that, that are already familiar with the Old Testament, wait to see are we going to be accepted or rejected before going to the Gentiles, right? But in Acts chapter 15, what we see is the need to go help some of these people understand what Old Testament requirements are going to be required of New Testament Gentiles who are becoming Christians. So it says in verse, uh, sub, let's say 15 verse 22. So there's this council in Jerusalem that kind of decides some of these things. And it says in verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So they send this letter. They send this letter in written format. It's delivered to these people, and it gives them the instructions that were kind of laid forth through this council. If you skip down to chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. They're, they're, they're circulating these letters. They're wanting the early churches to know and understand this important instruction, and they're bringing it to them in written form. If you skip to Acts chapter 17, verse 1, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, right? He's relying upon the scriptures. He's got scriptures in hand that he can show them and reason with them truth. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, Now, a Jew named Apollos, always good to bring Apollos up, because remember, if the Lord blesses me with another son, this is going to be his name, and it's a weird name. But if we talk about how great he is often enough, I'm going to announce his name, and you're going to be like, man, what a great name that Adam has chosen for his child, because this guy's the man, right? 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside, explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. He's got the written form of God's word. He's using it in his missional efforts to teach and to expose false teaching and to equip and encourage the saints. If you skip to 22, Acts chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. This is Paul talking to the, the Jews here at the very end before he dies. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Man, their, their ears kind of perk up because this is our language. This isn't just the spoken language that a lot of people, this is, this is our intimate language. 
Bible says they perked up. They listened very intently. They became very quiet because it was being spoken in their language. Man, I think it's important as we kind of think through our efforts missionally that we think through the, the, the need for the written component of God's word and it being written in a language that can be understood by the people and how important that is if the gospel is to be proclaimed and churches are to be started and planted, that that written word needs to remain there when missionaries have to pull out and go home, that there's, there's, there's something written, something with authority left that the people can read and understand and teach and rely upon. The written format provided the additional authority to the message, and it afforded the people the opportunity to review it and to share it with others. Back in Acts 17, 11, why, why is it important for the people to have it? Right? You know, the Catholic Church was, uh, way back when, was, was found to be in error because it had, the, it had the Bible, and nobody else had it in a language they could read and understand. So they were at the mercy of the Pope, mercy at the priests in what they said about God. And they had perverted it and had produced a lot of false teaching. But look what Acts 17, 11 says. Paul and Silas are teaching in Berea, and it says, These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Man, the average church member needs the Bible in a language that he can read and understand so that he can double-check his pastor and make sure that what the pastor is saying is accurate. There's 1,600 languages around the world today that don't have the Bible in a language that people can read and understand. Even if missionaries are sent there to proclaim the gospel, to plant a church, there's nothing to leave them with for them to continue to grow. There's nothing to leave them with to protect them from false teachers that would come and steer them, steer them from the true gospel. The book of Acts shows that the, that the missionaries were intentional to bring written instruction in a form a language that could be read and understood. Number six, establishing churches was always the end goal of their efforts. For our kids, church planting is always the best goal for missionary work. Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You see this strategy here by Paul where he shows up, he preaches the gospel, he makes disciples, he encourages them in their faith, he appoints elders, they've created a church now, he can now entrust that fellowship to the Lord. They've got, they've got what they need to survive now. They've got the gospel, they've got discipleship, and they've got leadership to continue the growth of that church. It was always their end goal. Number seven, encouraging churches once they were established became an ongoing effort moving forward. We just read here how they were kind of cycling back through some of these cities and encouraging those disciples. These passages, we won't take time to read them for the sake of time, but in Acts 15, 36 through 41, and in Acts 18, 22 through 23, Paul became very intentional about coming back through these churches that he had planted to encourage them to make sure they were still progressing in the faith. For our kids, one way we can serve other churches is by seeking to encourage he didn't just kind of drop in, try to do something really fast, and then bail out, and then he was done. Like, he had an ongoing established relationship. We see that in the New Testament letters, right? As he writes to some of these churches, he's writing to them multiple times. He's even referencing other letters that he's already sent to them that don't, that don't become a part of our Bible, but were still communication that he was giving to them. It was an ongoing thing where he was continually coming back to encourage these churches, so these are some of the things that really jumped out to me as missional strategies in the book of Acts for some of these early churches, right? They were very intentional to send people who were telling people about Jesus at home. They sent them out to go to other areas. They relied upon direct revelation, circumstances, and strategies to dictate where they should go. They went with the gospel. That was their primary way to help people. They taught truth to get rid of the false teaching. They tried to bring written instruction in a language that could be understood by the people. 
They established churches once people were responding to the gospel. And then once those churches were planted, they kept coming back to encourage them. All right. I want you to see this particularly in one of the books of the New Testament, the book of Philippians. And I want us to see what a healthy sending church slash missionary relationship or partnership looks like. What does it look like for a local church to be connected with a missionary? What does a healthy relationship look like? Let's look at this real briefly. So flip over to the book of Philippians. This is one of the churches that Paul helped plant, but then it's also a church that becomes financially committed to him in his other efforts to plant churches. What's a healthy church missionary partnership look like? Number one, the Philippian church was connected sufficiently to pray specifically for the missionaries they supported. Philippians 1, verse 19. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is very expectant that their prayers are being lifted up for him. One, because he's communicated his needs to him. But what I love about this and what I think is so important for us as we consider who are we going to support, how are we going to support them, that I want us to be connected enough to be able to pray specifically for certain missionaries, to pray specifically for how we can support them and, how, and, and what needs they have from God. Sometimes um, churches can support large organizations, large ministries where there's a bunch of missionaries, and sometimes it's hard to know, like, who should we even be praying for? Right, like I want us to, to, to have some connection with some people that we can pray very intentionally for in the same way that Philippian people were praying for Paul. They were connected sufficiently. They were connected enough to know what was going on in Paul's life and to know exactly how to pray for him. Number two, the Philippian church had the means to send people from their body to serve alongside the missionaries they supported. Look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. I've thought it necessary, this is Paul talking, writing back to the church at Philippi, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and he's also your messenger and he's your minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious." So I receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Man, Paul says, I'm sending sending your guy home. Like you sent somebody to serve alongside me, short-term, long-term, whatever that looked like. He says, this guy's been incredible. He says, I'm sending him back to you and you need to honor him. You need to throw a party for this guy. Like this guy needs to be viewed as a hero amongst your children because he has given his life to the God. He nearly died for the gospel. But what's really cool to me is that this guy was, was a part of the church at Philippi. And at some point, a need arose and the church said, hey, we need somebody to go and help Paul. One of our missionaries that we support, he needs help. And Epaphroditus said, send me, like I'm willing to go. Like, I've, 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 I've structured my life in such a way that I can leave and I can go do that. And they sent him, and he was of great support to Paul. And he served for a period of time, and then Paul said, you know what, it's time for you to go back home. It's time for you to go back home, but you've done a great work here. I love the fact that the Philippian church had the means to send people from their body to serve alongside the missionaries they supported. They weren't just giving money, they were also giving some of their people to go help too. Number three, the Philippian church had set aside funds to regularly support the missionaries they supported. Philippians 4, 15 through 19. It says, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul was very thankful to this church and part of the whole reason that he writes the the philippian letter is because of his thanksgiving for the money that they had sent to him he says i not that i seek the gift but i seek the fruit that increases to your credit i've received full payment and more i am well supplied having received from epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to god he says this wasn't just a one-time gift either you guys had done it and you had done it again you had kind of budgeted for this 
you would set aside money intentionally to support my ministry. Philippian church believed in him. They believed him enough to set aside their own money, their own people, their own time, because they're committing time to pray for him. They committed all those things to this missionary. They believed in what he was doing. Number four, so that's, that's kind of what the church had done. The church had prayed for him. The church had sent people to help him. The church had given financially. But what had Paul done? And this is where I think, too, it's necessary for us to think through who are we going to support, making sure we support the right types of people, because Paul kind of shows us what's a healthy missionary look like back to that church, right? Paul's thankfulness shows that their support was beneficial, if not also needed. Now, in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, he, um, he expresses to them a thanksgiving for their, their efforts. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's very thankful. And even in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, he says, I'm thankful for your money. I don't I don't have to have it because I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. Even if I'm dirt poor or extremely rich, I'm always satisfied. That's where the verse comes from. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Like we don't, we don't use that to say I can score a touchdown on Friday night, right? It's, it's to say that I can, be, I can be thankful and grateful to God no matter what circumstance I find myself in. Dirt poor, extremely rich, I'm always content with God's goodness in my life. He says, I've found that. But he's, he's, he's very thankful for what they have done for him. And it's an expression that, man, it was definitely beneficial. If it, wasn't, if it wasn't needed, it was certainly beneficial. It wasn't like they were just throwing money to something that didn't really need their money. It wasn't like they were just sending people places that didn't really need their, their people. Paul says, this has been extremely beneficial. I'm thankful to God for your partnership in the gospel with me. But number five, Paul's information in this letter shows that their continued support was desired. Man, we, how encouraging is it when, when you support somebody and they send information back to share with you what's going on over there, how your support has been used, and how you can continue to pray? Because Paul says in Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me. And what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And he begins to document, I'm in prison. I've been thrown into prison for sharing Jesus. But people in prison are hearing about Jesus, and they never would have heard about Jesus if I hadn't been thrown into prison. He's giving them an update from the mission field. Here's what I've been up to. What does that do? Man, it encourages the Philippian church to keep doing what they're doing, right? Keep sending money. Keep sending people. Keep lifting me up in your prayers because I'm giving you insight into what's happening over here kind of goes back to the fact that they were, they were sufficiently connected to him. They got feedback from him to know how to continue to be involved in his efforts. Number six, Paul's care for them shows that it was a true partnership and not just financial gain for him only. He didn't just write a letter and say, thanks for your money, appreciate it. He's very involved in the church that's supporting him as well. If you read these passages, what you find is that he was close enough to this church that he could say, follow my example. Like he was, a, he was a spiritual example for them. Man, I would love for us to support people here at this church where our kids can talk about them in such a way like they're their heroes. Because Paul says, man, you ought to honor Epaphroditus. This guy needs to be acknowledged. This guy, this guy gave his life for the gospel. Man, I want our kids to be bought in, to, to, to look to the missionaries that we support and say, I want to be like that person when I grow up. And they got enough people that are kind of thrown their way as to who they should be like when they grow up, like a lot of actors and actresses and sports heroes. Man, I'd love for kids in this church to grow up saying, I want to be like that guy. Like he left our church and, and he's helping support the missionaries that we support. Because Paul says, follow my example. See what God's doing in my life and, and seek to follow after that. He also is faithful to teach them. Man, I would love for us to support missionaries that can come and can, uh, can teach us as well, can feed us at times when they're in the States, when they're around this area, they can come and teach. They're even involved, uh, Paul's even involved in helping them work through church issues. There, there's conflict in, a, in uh, Philippians 4 between some church members, and he's even giving them insight as a consultant as to how to resolve some of the conflict in their church. It's one of the reasons why I think we should continue to support the Snowbird uh, ministry. 
and the house church that we've been supporting really since we started our church is because their elders have consistently helped us work through issues with our church when we've needed help, just like Paul does for this church at Philippi. Paul's very intentional to be a good missionary back to his supporting church. He keeps them informed. He even invests some of his time and energy back into their church as well, creating that partnership. He's not just thankful for their money. He gives time and care to them and also is is very intentional to pray for them too. All right, so we've seen kind of the strategies in Acts. We've seen what a healthy relationship looks like in the book of Philippians. Let's talk a little bit about where we're going next as a church, and we'll wrap up. What have we attempted so far? Um, And we kind of flipped the script. Normally, I've been telling you what we've done progression-wise towards our goal before. We've kind of repackaged it. I want to go ahead and repackage it. Now, I want to kind of tell you what we've been doing and then kind of where we need to go, and then we'll be done. Um, Way back, very beginning, Why is international church planting even on our radar? Because Adam McLeod and Tyson and I, our families, before we ever planted Sovereign Hope, gave serious consideration to moving to the mission field to plant a church in Romania. Um, We spent a lot of time praying about it. We spent a lot of time meeting about it. Um, As we were kind of examining where where are we going next, uh, you know, we really decided we wanted to do ministry together, and we gave serious consideration to moving overseas. And it didn't take real long once we moved from the prayer phase to the meeting phase where we looked around and said, do you know how to plant a church? No. Do you know how to plant a church? No. I don't know how to plant a church. And so it did not seem like the right thing to do to move our families overseas to a foreign country and try to figure that out on our own. So we began to think about planting here in the United States and kind of working through that process and kind of getting some of those questions answered. And so that led to the start of Sovereign Hope Church, right? As we got into this, we began to determine who are the people we are going to support internationally. What are the types of people we want to support even locally? And so we gave, uh, we gave our money to Snowbird. Snowbird, for those of you that aren't aware, are, um, it, it's, a, it's a camp where I worked at, where so, some others of our church members have worked at. It's where Lauren and I met and, and ended up falling in love and getting married. So it has a special place in my heart. But they were also, their, their leadership served as our external elders until we were able to appoint elders in our church. We've continued to support those three individual families for the effort that they put into our church um, when we first started. And as we've grown as a church, we've seen your involvement in Snowbird increase as well to where we're now sending our kids during the summertime. We've got couples that go over there for the, um, the, the married retreats. We've got our ladies that go in, in May for the women's retreats. So now more and more of our church is getting bought into what Snowbird's all about and why it's so important. I think they do a great job of functioning the way that Paul does when he goes around and encourages these churches. They don't go visit churches. They invite churches to come and receive that encouragement from them. So I think they're kind of living out what we see in the book of Acts. They are, they are equipping and discipling churches in that area, sending them back encouraged, sending them back equipped to impact their areas. We, um, at various times, have supported Bible translation here through the Stapleton family. Stapleton family was a couple that we knew at Mount Gilead, and then we introduced you guys to them. They've actually been to our church, and we participated in kind of some one-time type opportunities. We did a big Christmas push where we bought uh, or gave money for them to buy the, the audio translators for the South Pacific area where they were working. And so we've done some of that at given times. We've never ongoingly supported their ministry, but it's something that we want to consider as elders as we kind of talk through our future direction um, where does Bible translation fit into what we can do as a church, all right? Um, and then we've obviously supported Chris and Grace for Education um, for a long period of time, too. In fact, we gave, we've given serious consideration to sending people from our church to live in Uganda and to plant a church in Uganda through our giving efforts. We've gotten so far as to have certain families that were willing to go and do that. In fact, we got so far to send Melissa to live there for an entire year with Chris's ministry, um, for those purposes to kind of figure out the church planting piece. Ben, Andrea, and I went a year and a half ago to kind of see it in person to determine, is this something that we can do as a church? This is one of those cases where I think, just like Paul kind of moving forward, trying to find where am I supposed to be and certain things not happening the way that we may be anticipated and kind of stepping back and saying, okay, God doesn't want us particularly here. Where does he want us, right? Melissa moved there to help with a women's ministry a women's ministry that the, that the board has now decided not to pursue right now. So that's part of the reason that she came home. We've also determined that the financial cost is a lot greater than what we initially thought. 
and our church can't possibly support people to go right now to do that. Is that okay? Absolutely. Did we make mistakes along the way? Probably, but the whole process hasn't been a failure, just like Paul wasn't a failure in trying to go to some of these cities where the Holy Spirit says, nope, not here. That was a good idea, and maybe it got you closer to where you're supposed to be, but now Paul direct, you know, Paul's directed through a vision that says, nah, let's go over here. We're still working with Chris and trying to figure out what's, what's the future of Grace for Education. His health is something that he did not anticipate either, and that health has him here a lot earlier than he ever planned on coming back. So Grace for Education is kind of on pause right now. Chris has got to get healthy. Chris has got to, just like us, kind of step back and say, okay, what does Grace for Education look like moving forward? So that kind of leaves us as we look towards the budget year and we look towards next year. What's our plan then? Because I want us to be involved internationally. I want us to be thinking great commission-wise, how do we impact the nations? And so we are, as, as elders, praying through, I didn't put a slide for it, so let me give it to you. What we want to consider as a church, ministries that we can support that, number one, focus on discipleship, Bible translation, and global, global church planting. We've said that kind of all day long today. We want to evaluate ministries that focus on discipleship, Bible translation, and global church planting. We want to look for ministries that will give you guys the opportunity to go short-term or long-term. All right, we, we want you to be able to experience more than just the Sonoy area and to see what God is doing on a bigger scale. We want there to be opportunities for you to be able to go short term. And man, I pray for the day that we have a kid that grows up in our church that says, I want to go long term, right? Like, like I want a kid to come to me and say, Adam, like, I, I want to go to the mission field. And I want us to be able to say, man, here's where, here's where we can send you. Right? Like, like we've been working with this family or we've been working with this organization and this is where you can go and do that. So we're looking for ministries that we can support, send people short term and Lord willing, send people long term. And we're looking for something that we can connect with, is, uh, connect us with individual families that we can pray for and receive updates about. Like we want there to be a personal aspect to this. That when we give money, we're giving money to people that we can know, we can communicate with, we can get updates about, we can pray for intentionally. Because I see that, I see that precedent in the book of Philippians where they knew Paul, they knew how to pray for him, and, and Paul knew them, right? Paul knew them and knew how to pray for them as well. So what does that look like for you as a church right now? How do we, how do we work towards resolving some of this and finding some of these ministries? Actions towards our goal. Number one, you start by praying for us as leadership. Pray for clarity about our missional direction. Number two, present any opportunities that you think should be under consideration by us. That's why I wanted you to discuss this morning, who do you know that's on the mission field? What are they doing? Does it fit in with what we're talking about? Discipleship, Bible translation, global church planting. And then number three, to prepare to give as needed. You guys have done an unbelievable job of giving when we've presented needs to you. Man, we, have, we, have, we, had, we had plenty of money to support Chris and Melissa to where they didn't have to get support from other people to go live in Uganda for the time that they've been there. That's because God's blessed you and you have not clung to that money tightly. You have loosely given it back to the church so that people could go. I have no doubt that when the time comes again for us to support missionary opportunities that you'll be ready to give. But as you think through budgets and you think through plans, be prepared to give as needed. We want to continue to give you guys updates on this, but the big thing that I want you to understand is that we recognize we can't financially plant a church by ourselves overseas. We hoped we could, we thought we could, but in evaluating that, we just don't think that's going to be possible. Kind of a closed door. We thought we were going in a direction, God says, mm, back up a little bit. We want to find a, a ministry, an organization that we can partner with, that we can do what the book of Acts churches were doing. And that's sending people into new areas, sending them there with the gospel, sending them there with the purpose of church planting, and being able to send some of our people alongside of them, short-term and long-term, to help them in those efforts. For our family worship questions, what can you immediately do this week? That's to pray for Snowbird, who we want to continue to partner with, I think. Because we're taking our, our middle school kids from Trinity there. And... This was a great trip for us last year. Some of our kids rarely go to church, if ever. 
And so this is a great opportunity for them to be exposed to the gospel. I did a survey just this week um, and just asked my kids, I said, give me some of the questions that you have about Jesus and Christianity. It's unbelievable the amount of responses. I don't know the gospel. I don't know how to be saved, or I don't know if I am saved. So, man, be in prayer for us as we take about 100 middle school kids to Snowbird this week, um, and they are going to be exposed, some of them for the first time, to some of these gospel teachings that, that can save their life. And so encourage you to pray for the Snowbird staff that will be ministering to those kids. Um, and then number two, pray for Chris and his recovery while he's at home. Man, we're so thankful for what Chris has done on the mission field already. Um, Chris is very open to kind of praying through what does God have in store for him in the future, given his health challenges. And so be in prayer for Chris as he is kind of working through some of these things and trying to figure out when and what to do next with his ministry in Grace for Education. Okay, so again, my big goal today was to to kind of communicate to you where we're going as a church, what we want to be involved in as a church, and why we want to be involved in those things. And hopefully you've seen from Scripture, from Acts and Philippians, some of the reasoning behind why I think the discipleship piece is so important, because Paul and these missionaries were constantly not just giving them the gospel, but equipping them and coming back to them to keep them encouraged in the Christian faith. The Bible translation piece, the, 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 the importance of bringing written instruction to people around the world. And then number three, the importance of global church planting, that the early churches were very intentional to send people with the purpose of appointing elders in every city so that those churches could be sustained. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for what you've shown us in your word. I thank you for um, just the churches in Acts and their intentionality to, to send people out so that the gospel could go forth. Because God, all of us here that are saved, I'm sure, owe some type of thank you to these early churches and the gospel going forth from them to the, to the other nations around them as we think back through our own family heritage. That the gospel was made available to us because of some of these early church efforts. God, I know that we're a small church and I know that we don't have a lot of money and I know that we don't have a lot of people. But God, I would love to see us be involved as much as possible with a great commission mindset of trying to reach the nations with the gospel. Whether that's supporting missionaries that are already overseas, whether that's being able to send people from our church to go participate and partner with people overseas as well in their church planting efforts. God, we want to to not just be content to, to live here and minister here. We want to see people from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping you. So give us wisdom as we try to seek and clarify the direction of our church in this area. God, I thank you that we have people that are so willing to give. Help us as leadership to be able to direct those funds in, in a way that's makes it most beneficial for the people that are receiving it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.